Welcome to the Reaching In Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor David. The Reaching In Podcast is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Newport News, which focuses on your spiritual growth with an emphasis on sincere devotion, lifelong discipleship, and authentic discussion. Welcome back to the Reaching In Podcast. I'm still your host, Pastor David. And I am still your co-host, Anita. Folks, it has been too, too long. (laughs) And we are so grateful that you are still with us. We want to say thank you to everyone that has been praying for us. Um, We know we have some strong prayer warriors that are listeners of the podcast. We thank you. Uh, we don't want to name one by name and forget someone. So we just want to thank everyone collectively for your prayers and support. We want to thank those that gave us comments on Facebook or on the YouTube video itself um, with some tips on how we can improve the podcast. And we've definitely taken those things to heart. Uh, and we were able to plan. We were able to plan a uh, mm-hmm. c- couple of episodes in advance. We're not going to tell you exactly how far we've planned out, but we, we did some planning, some praying and some revising. And we're excited about the holidays coming up. We're excited about the the episodes that are set to come out. And we're just thankful again to have you as listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. We wouldn't have the Reaching In podcast without you. So you are a great part of it. Um, Anita, anything else that you wanted to share with the audience from our break? Uh, Just that it was good to have the time to get away and to pray and to seek God and to do the planning. I think so often we can have our our nose to the grind and and we just want to produce, which I know that that's how we both are as, as workers we want to do, but we also know that there does, there are times where we need to rest. You know, God modeled that in Genesis with taking a Sabbath. And so we, we get that in every week, but I think even when you're in ministry, there comes a time where you need to maybe take a step back, take a week off or, mm-hmm. you know, have some scheduled breaks so that you can be rejuvenated and come back with fresh perspective and, you know, ideas. That's right. Not We never get tired of the work. We only get tired in the work. Yes. So we take definitely. those breaks when necessary. That's right. And so we thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. Um, if it wasn't for you, we would it would be a struggle, but we are excited every time we get to meet with you guys. So with that all said, we are embarking on a two-episode series uh, entitled Light and Darkness. Light and Darkness. So this episode and the part two uh, of this series is going to be concerned with light and darkness. And we all know we are in the month of October. And we know that Halloween is coming up soon and very soon. And so we wanted to discuss this topic. So let's go to the word of God, because we have a pretty much a thematic section, a passage that we're going to use for both episodes. It's kind of going to be the overarching theme for the episode. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. And when you get there, folks, we will go ahead and read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 16 and i'll go ahead and read it it says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has christ with belial 
Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And it goes on from there. We just wanted to stop there because we wanted to focus on the fact that all all of these questions that are asked obviously they're rhetorical. The answer is there is no fellowship. They shouldn't be together. Um, Light shouldn't have fellowship with darkness. Righteousness shouldn't have fellowship with lawlessness, so on and so forth. And so as we talk about light and darkness, we want to talk about two extremes, two contrasts, two things that are not compatible. And so with that, we wanted to talk about uh, fear and horror and the occult and things of that nature. And so Anita, why did, why did we decide to talk about this topic in particular? What was so important uh, that you wanted to address this or tackle this? Well, as you said, we knew that we are in October and Halloween is coming up. So it had some relevance right now with, yes. with that coming. Uh, but then as we were researching, we were reminded that this isn't something that's just about Halloween. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's just contained to Halloween anymore. It's something that we're dealing with all the time. Absolutely. You know, whether it's in our encounters with people and their beliefs, Mm -hmm. or whether it's in forms of entertainment, Mm -hmm. we are coming face to face, if I could say it that way, with the occult. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, we have a lot of, we have neighbors that are putting up their decorations. We're, we're seeing skulls and jack-o'-lanterns and all these other things that are, are starting to pop up more and more. Um, we thought it was important because of its timeliness, timeliness, like you said, but also because of its relevance and how darkness has become a part of our culture. Uh, Anita, what's your experience with the occult and things of the dark and things of fear and horror? Do you have any experience with those things? No? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, nothing's coming to mind. Uh, I mean, growing up, we actually had a neighbor who was a witch. Okay, well, that's something worth bringing <laughs> well, but up. I don't, but I don't remember that. <laughs> so that's why I didn't initially say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but just in my family, my, my parents did not encourage us to watch anything that was like horror movies. We didn't watch that kind of stuff in our house. We did celebrate Halloween though, um, Mm -hmm. as, as kids, but my parents, they didn't allow us to dress up as witches or ghosts or anything that was what they considered to be evil. Mm -hmm. We didn't do that. Um, and then, you know, just monitoring our television and what we were watching on TV as well is something Mm -hmm. that my parents would do. So, I mean, as far as me having my own personal experiences with the occult, nothing's coming to mind right now. But, I mean, that's been my experience as far as what we'll eventually end up talking about in this series. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, you know, at first I said, no, of course not. I I would never have contact with the dark side. But honestly, the more I thought about it, the more I have. Um, I was, for those of you who don't know, I come, I'm an islander. I'm a descendant of island people um, from the Caribbean specifically, from the island of Grenada. And there are superstitions, there are beliefs, there are um, stories that are passed down in a lot of these places around the world. Um, and my upbringing included 
more of a Catholic background, which we know has emphasis on certain uh, symbols and rituals and things of that nature. But in, in the culture my parents grew up in, there were superstitions, there were stories, there were um, things that were like the American werewolf story. Well, there are cultural counterparts to these things that my parents knew about and talked about sometimes. And mm-hmm. um, though they didn't teach it to us per se, those were things they grew up with. And I was aware of it. Also growing up in a, in a charismatic Pentecostal church, there was a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, but also other spirits, demons and Uh, you know, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the high places and all those rankings of demons and talk of demonic possession. And you hear about deliverance ministries where people have uh, demons in them that are possessing them and causing them to jerk around or have convulsions or speak with weird um, languages or distortions of voices and things like that. And I grew up in churches where they would have deliverance services where you would see people uh, in need of delivering uh, from demonic oppression. So, I mean, I've, I've been around it. I've witnessed it. I haven't been a practitioner of it in my past. I don't have that as part of my testimony, but to say that I haven't had any experience, no, I've seen, I've seen some things, I've heard some things and, um, praise be to God. We serve a God that can deliver us from Mm -hmm. the powers of darkness. And so again, this topic was not something that we came into lightly. We actually had to do some research about this. So Anita, where did you go to get information on this? Uh, What resources did you use? I used Mm gotquestions.org. I did some research on that. It is a Christian website that answers questions that we might have. Mm -hmm. Uh, that can be found in the Bible. So one of my questions that I typed is, what is the occult? And so by means of definition, um, occult means hidden, secret, and mysterious, particularly pertaining to the supernatural. Mm -hmm. And then they started to list all the examples of occult practices. They mentioned astrology, which is interpretation of an assumed influence by the stars and planets um, that can speak to human destiny. Okay. Um, they mentioned witchcraft, which is a neo-pagan religion from a variety of religious traditions and beliefs, mm-hmm. um, including like Freemason rituals. They have polytheistic Wiccans. Um, some of them wor- worship a goddess. Some worship nature. Uh, some pick and choose parts of Christianity, actually. I found that to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And others reject all of Christianity. Um, so that was another part of the occult. Um, they have black arts, fortune telling, magic, Ouija boards, tarot cards, spiritism, um, psychics, and Satanism. Mm-hmm. All those things would be included under the occult. Yeah, absolutely. Um I ended up going to some uh, different places to find that uh, information. I had to end up going to places like medium.com, which is a occultic website to get some information on what their practices are. And yes, many of the practices Anita, you just mentioned are occult practices. Um, there are there are nine forbidden practices that are mentioned in scripture, but uh, some that Anita that you mentioned are on the list, including what you said, astrology and witchcraft. Wicca is the modern counterpart to witchcraft, um, but human sacrifice we know is in scripture, um, which still happens to this day. We have enchanters, 
those who consult familiar spirits, wizards, necromancers, which are people that claim to be able to contact the dead, charmers, um, people who practice divination and things of that nature. So all of these things are considered occult practices. Um, and so we just wanted to lay out some definitions for you. You know, it, the occult practices are so mysterious. They're shrouded in mystery and they have a lot of, um, there's a lot of ambiguity to the definition because on one website, occult means this, on another one, it means this, and everyone kind of comes to it with their own definition. But why, just on the just on the very general level, Nita, why do you think people are attracted to the occult in the first place? Like it's, it, we named a whole bunch of things that to the Christians seem kind of like kind of crazy, but what is the, what is the pull or what is the overarching thing that draws people to these kinds of practices? In my research, one thing, well, I'll get to that in a second, but I think it's the hidden and the mysterious part of it. Mm. I think people like that. I think they also like when they're told not to do things, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're rebellious by nature. So we want to seek out those things that people tell us we can't do, like that's just our flesh. And so if you have a person who is not a believer, they are in their flesh. And so of course they're going to pursue those sorts of things. And some of those things, uh, culturally speaking, we've made light of throughout the years. You know, it's, it's nothing to see people reading their horoscope or um, people reading tarot cards and things like that. So it's been forms of entertainment. And I think that people seek it out for those reasons as well. But mm -hmm. one interesting thing when I looked up Satanism, because I thought that if you have witchcraft and Satanism, I thought all that, those things were the same thing. I, mm -hmm. I didn't see a distinction between them. Right. But in looking it up, Satanism is known for being um, promotion of self. Mm -hmm. That a lot of people think Satanism means that they worship Satan. Right. They can, but some Satanists don't even believe Satan exists. Mm. What it is, is that they worship themselves. And that, that is also a form of Satanism. So I think the appeal to this is that people look at this and they see it as empowerment. Yes. They see it as something that is self-promoting, mm -hmm. self-helping, and they they enjoy that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with, with everything that you've pulled up in research. I went to another website called occultist.net under an, uh, an article called Occultism for Beginners, How to Practice Occultism Explained. And uh, before I go further into that, I just we just want to make it really clear, folks. This is not a topic that we approach lightly and we really hope and pray. We, we approach this with prayer and with seriousness. This is not a topic that you should approach lightly. This is not something that you should approach with a curiosity on learning how to do these things. We're not trying to promote that. What we're trying to do is gain an understanding of this topic so that we can bring light to that which is dark, to that which is mysterious, as we just said. And so as we go further, we're going to continuously give this warning. Um, that you need to be careful when you're researching these things. You need to be prayed up. You need to be serious because curiosity is something Satan uses as well to get you to go to places and to learn things, but not for the right reasons. And we can get easily caught up. So we don't want to approach this with any sort of laissez-faire or flippant attitude. We want to seriously approach these things. Amen. Amen. All right. So we went to this, I went to this uh, website 
to see what the beginners for occultism tips are. And it says, practicing occultism involves mastering your mind and emotions through various concentration and visualization methods. Nita, this goes hand in hand with what you were saying. People want to master themselves. They want to better themselves. And how could we ever bring in an accusation against someone who just wants to get better and improve themselves, right? It also says that practicing occultism will allow you to perform more advanced rituals, like summoning entities from other dimensions, changing your mental state at will, and easily influencing others to reach your goals. And so there we see another pull. It's not just the pull of, I want to better myself. It's also the ability to manipulate other people and to change your destiny, quote unquote, and to achieve your goals. And so it's very self-centered. It's very self empowering you know on the surface who could who could bring a charge against that don't you want to be better than you were yesterday uh, than yesterday don't you want to think better don't you want to be able to concentrate better and perform better athletically and so occult practices don't start off with a pitchfork and uh, an incantation book you know there there are levels to this and so um we just wanted to bring light to some of those things um, one of the interesting parts in this article also said that the most well-regarded paths in the Western tradition, and there are occultic Western and Eastern traditions, um, these include Hermeticism, Neoplatonism, Kabbalah, which we, I believe Madonna's kind of made, made that kind of more popular in the mainstream, Gnosticism, Alchemy, Telema, Wicca, chaos magic and of course satanism as we mentioned before and each one of these things is interesting because it seeks to be a hodgepodge um uh, what we've found also from occultic practices is that they are not fundamentalist they're very widespread and and um they don't mind you bringing in a little they're bit open. of this they're yeah. yes they're open they're that's open. a great word they're open while christianity is a closed system um, their systems are more open to taking a little of this and taking a little of that and kind of bringing together a hodgepodge of traditions and thought um, to, to bring about the achieved results. One of the interesting things is the rise of Eastern occult traditions in the West. Um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it'd probably been weird to find yoga places everywhere where you can get your hot yoga and all these other yogas that are out there. Um, <laughs> But Eastern, how many yogas? There are a lot of yogas. No, seriously, <laughs> I didn't. There was a different types, and I didn't list those. But there are many types if you want to go into it. But it says that Eastern occultic traditions fall under two categories. Yoga is number one, which finds its origins from India, and number two is qigong, which is originating from China. The Indian yoga is a branch of actual Hindu philosophy. And it's defined as ascetic Hindu. It's a has ascetic Hindu discipline involving controlled breathing, body positions, and meditation. Um, and qigong is a Chinese system of breathing control, physical exercise, and meditation. Once again, that promotes healing. And this quote I thought was crazy. And yet, I want your thoughts on this. It says Westerners often have the wrong impression of yoga, treating it only as a form of exercise. In India, however, it's considered to be the most sacred of all sciences. With physical benefits, it is practiced to reach high levels of personal development, mental superpowers, and full spiritual enlightenment. Close quote from occultist.net. Your thoughts on that quote, Nita? Well, I mean, I guess they would know, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I guess you have to. I mean, you have to go. You have to go back to the source. I mean, we can turn things into whatever we want it to be, but I just I I think that that doesn't work with everything, mm-hmm. right? So we've talked before about how there's certain traditions that we hold today. Yes. That their origin may mm-hmm. have been pagan. Yeah. But now we've turned it into something else. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to yoga, I don't know if the same can apply. Like I don't I don't I'm I'm serious. I don't know whether that can work that way or whether you are doing things and maybe not realizing what you are doing when you participate Mm -hmm. in those acts. What do you think about that? I mean, here's the thing, folks. We all come to Jesus. There's one door to salvation. He is the door. He is the way. But a lot of us, we came to that door from different places, different backgrounds. Um, Someone who's who's from India, who was a practicing Hindu, who used yoga, you know, previous to coming to Christ, they may feel because of the Holy Spirit and conviction that comes upon their lives, they will renounce all parts of their past, including mm-hmm. their yoga. Even though today we know that there are some Christian yoga yeah. facilities and instructors that will take the positioning and will replace, will remove the meditation part of it. And I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to pull out the offensive parts and the parts that are um, serving that belief system, that Hindu philosophy and stripping it so that they can use it to get just the the physical benefits out of it. How do I feel about that personally? And this is just Pastor David, this is not, please don't take this as your, um, you know, as your Holy Spirit, because I'm not your Holy Spirit. But what I will say is that I find it very hard to take practices that were part of, that were part and parcel of of a philosophy, of a religious system of thought and then strip it away and not still have some residuals to it. You know what I'm saying? I just personally wouldn't participate in those kinds of activities because I have the knowledge now of what it is, you know? To the ignorant person who doesn't know, you know, they may just be participating in it and they're just benign to the whole thing. But to me, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I cannot, the Bible says to him who know that it's sin, you know, and you still do it, it, it's sinful. Now that you have the knowledge, you can't just say blame, you can't just pull ignorance and say, well, I didn't know. Now that you know, you need to pray and ask God, should I continue doing this thing? And that goes with everything that we're going to be talking about in this part one and also in part two, folks. If at any point we bring up something that you participate in or have participated in, we are not here to tell you what to do and what not to do. We are here to bring light to a dark topic and hopefully allow you to pray and seek the Lord and let him be the one to convict you of those practices and things that you need to stop or that you need to talk to your kids about, your teenagers about, your spouse about. Um, There may be shows, there may be um, physical things that you do that have practices or have semblances or little vestiges of other belief systems. And so we want you to pray. This is a call for us to pray as people who are we are just we are very much focused on inspiring you to have sincere devotion and be a lifelong disciple of jesus christ through authentic discussions and so our focus is be authentic with the lord sincerely devote yourself to him and we want you to continue to grow and if part of growing with the lord is seeking the lord every day and asking him to check your heart to check your mind to check your thoughts and say lord in what ways can i better walk with you and if that means stopping your christian yoga sessions If that's what he tells you to do, by all means, obey the Lord, honor God, 
not man and not yourself. So um, I personally wouldn't do it. But if that's that's a conviction that I have from the Lord, I have the knowledge and I would rather do other things than do downward facing dog or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, if you're telling me I don't have to exercise. I didn't say don't exercise. <laughs> Get some physical fitness. Bodily exercise profits a little, folks. You need a little bit of that profit. Um, <laughs> so it's important. Um, it's funny. Not funny, but it's interesting as we were doing research about this, you know, some people will say, well, you know, I've I've heard of a meme that's out there where somebody was like, well, the Bible has all this stuff in it. You know, it has, you know, sacrifices. And it's funny how people will say if the Bible contains an act that it supports an act or endorses an act Um, that is categorically false. Uh, Just because the Bible has uh, wars and just because it had child sacrifice doesn't mean that God endorses these products. And so let's go into the word of God. Um, as we're getting close to the end of part one here, folks, we want to just mention some places in the scripture, some references that you can look up uh, in a deeper dive. As we're talking about light and darkness, the Bible does have these practices in them. They don't endorse them. As a matter of fact, you'll be encouraged to know that God is against these practices. So Anita, what's one of the places in scripture that people can go to in order to find out um, where is it mentioned and perhaps some... Uh, further study can be done for these people where can they go to get that one is in the old testament it mm-hmm. is first samuel 28 first samuel 28 one of the scariest stories in the bible <laughs> in my opinion and maybe i'm i'm wimpy but um first samuel 28 mm-hmm. saul is fighting against the the philistines and the israelites mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what he is going what he's supposed to do yeah i think in verse six um um, verse six i think at this point it says saul inquired of the lord in verse six the lord did not answer him either by dreams or by urim or by the prophet so saul was in need of information and direction guidance and he couldn't get it and and it i need to also note that Samuel mm-hmm. had passed away at this point, mm-hmm. but before he died, he already had told Saul that God was pretty much done with him. Like, yeah, don't don't expect God to you're fired. come through. Yeah, you're yeah. fired. <laughs> you're fired. But Saul was still wanting to hear from God, wanting direction. Basically, all he just wanted to win. Mm-hmm. He had not repented in his heart. He had right. not wanted to turn back to God. Mm-hmm. He just didn't want to lose this battle. He wanted the results. Yes. And so he, in verse seven, it says, Saul then said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and consult her. Mm-hmm. And so they found one. He disguises himself. Yep. And he goes to see her. Well, she points out to him that Saul, because he's in disguise, that Saul had put all of them out of Israel. Right. So she was like trying to make sure that this wasn't a trap, like exactly. that she was going to get set up to be killed. So he swears to her by the Lord that as surely as the Lord lives, no punishment will come to you from this. So he, she asks him, who do you want me to bring up? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. <laughs> well, when the woman did, she saw Samuel, she screamed. And then she said, she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. <laughs> now in the commentary, the jig is up in the commentary. Um, I read that they believe that she was a fraud. Right. 
And this, the reason that it scared her was that this was the first time she ever was able to do mm -hmm. this. It's like one of those leap of faith moments. Y'all can look that movie up. It's real cool. Yeah. And old. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that one either. You haven't? Oh my goodness. No. Um. So anyway, she's, she's freaked out because Samuel actually did appear and he asked, Saul asks her, what do you see? She says, I see a spirit form coming up out of the earth. Then Saul asked her, what does he look like? So she said, an old man is coming up. He's wearing a robe. Then Saul knew that it was Samuel and he knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. Mm. And so Samuel had the same response that I would have had. <laughs> Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? You know, yeah. you want to talk about resting in peace? Samuel's like, I'm good. You know, I'm yeah. I'm resting. And here you come with, I've already told you what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So Saul tells him, I'm in serious trouble. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore. And he just sounds like a desperate woman. Mm -hmm. Like, like he doesn't call me. Why hasn't he called? Mm -hmm. Come on now, Saul. You already know. Yeah. But anyway, so Samuel basically repeats what God had already told Saul before, mm -hmm. but he also adds that tomorrow he was going to die. And so Saul just falls flat on his face. Yep. He doesn't want to eat anything. He's done. But um, yeah. Yep. Like I said, scary story that actually she was successful to bring someone back. And mm -hmm. this time actually it was God that allowed it. Like God allowed Samuel mm -hmm. to show up. So that, I mean, that is a very uh, exciting, but a little scary story about <laughs> going to a necromancer, basically someone who can contact the dead or at least profess that they could. And it actually happens. And Saul, because he didn't hear from the Lord, he went and he sought someone who could give him this information. And we are running, running against it right now. We're, as we're coming to a close in part one, folks, we've brought some terms to you. We've defined some terms. We've introduced the topic of the occult. Um, as we continue to discuss light and darkness in this series, we want you to come back and enjoy part two. We're going to get deeper into what does the Bible teach about this? Where are the modern occurrences of this in our society? And what are we to do and how are we to handle the darkness in this world? So you don't want to miss part two, folks. Keep, come back. Keep pressing on and, and keep, keep reaching, reaching in. in. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were engaged and encouraged. If you're hungry for more content, check out our ongoing Old and New Testament teachings available on our app or through our website, calvarynn.church, and follow us on social media. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the Reaching In podcast belong solely to those individuals themselves and do not necessarily reflect the views of Calvary Chapel, Newport News.